0: Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. I want to borrow a phrase from uh, Duncan Campbell. His description of what happened at the Great Hebrides Revival. He said, God came down. He just opened up the windows of heaven and showed up among us. There was a story about the, the revival. In the Great Hebrides revival, there was a uh, God spoke to this man, Duncan Campbell, to go, and, and he couldn't get there by plane. It, during this revival, he had to take a boat, a ship from the U.S. to to this like the uh, the, is it the Scottish Isle. Is am I right about that's the location right? And uh, so he arrives. It took him three weeks to get there, and there was two sweet old ladies saw him as he walked through the street of the city and said, we've been waiting on you. Yeah, yeah. How do you know about me? We've been praying and the Lord showed you to us. And we've, we've got a word from the Lord that he is going to move on this island. Yeah. And uh, uh, I can't even begin to do the story justice, but in essence, Duncan shows up to this revival the heartbeat is there has been great hunger from the people in this island that uh, f- for for a revival to come. I'm not even sure they knew what they were asking for, except they were hungry for more of God. Yeah, yeah. The promise had been spoken to them, but they hadn't seen anything significant. They would gather in church and they would worship, but it would kind of just leave, kind of, it just like... It was just a little stale in the air, uh, and they would come with the with the pure hearts, but just felt like the heavens were brass. Yeah. And on and, and but now there's been this momentum of words spoken about God moving on this island, and so they gathered in this room. And Duncan Campbell, uh, nobody knows him except God sent him, and some little old ladies knew this was the man God sent. And he comes in and he preaches his sermon and it's just kind of mediocre. No response. It's about 9.30, 10 o'clock at the end of this evening service and people are walking out the door and there's one old man sitting on the back row. And just as the last few people, dozen people, maybe still in the building, he sits in the back and he just starts, he had the Bartimaeus Effect. He's sitting on the back row and he just starts screaming to the top of his lungs God, you promised! You promised! You promised! And the glory of the Lord hit that room. It didn't just hit the room, it hit the island. People were walking home because that was their only mode of transportation was their legs and as they they're walking through the village lights start coming on in the in the houses and people getting out of bed in conviction hit the island and people are falling out of bed on their knees and begin to cry out to God and, and other people get up and they, I don't know what to do with this this I don't know this, they're not even saved they don't know what to do with this burning and so someone would, well let's go to the church and, and without an invitation without a phone call, they couldn't call they're gathering back at the church after 10 o'clock at night into this incredible earth shaking revival And we think it's got to be a certain way. But this was just a hungry cry, a broken cry of people that were saved and people that weren't saved. They just knew they needed Jesus. And they began to cry out. And the Spirit of God swept across that island. And people would travel from around that area. From, they would travel hours and hours to get to this place where they heard about the glory of God visiting The great, you should uh, study the the story. Hebrides, H E B R I D E. It's Hebrides, if you want to know how to spell it. Hebrides. God, and Duncan Campbell just said, God came down. He he tells the story of this one young man who helped to serve him. He was just a teenager, and he would call on him to pray. I feel like this about Tanner. Tanner's like this. When Tanner prays, when he opens his mouth, there's just an opening in the heavens. But this young man would stand up, and he he would surprise him and call on on him to pray, and he would stand up, and he would just say, Jesus, in a brokenness. And that's as far as he would get, and the glory would sweep into the room. Opening heaven. Every time this has happened, and in my experience in church, in all the history of revivals, when God came down as a result of repentance and desperation in the atmosphere of worship, I can promise you that church programs will never accomplish this. True revival comes when the reviver comes to town. True revival is more like a flood than it is a river. I was reading Ezekiel this week in my daily read. I'm still on track. Uh, I think some of y'all fell off the wagon with me But I'm still on track Uh, I'm going to be beginning again at the top of the year Reading the Bible through And I want as many as will join me on Monday morning prayer Will also join me in 365 days of reading the Bible And And then 365 more And then 365 more And then 365 more And we'll keep reading every day Feeding ourselves, the word of the... So this week I was reading about Ezekiel and it speaks of the river of God. Wherever the river goes yeah. is life. Right. But true revival is more like a flood than it is a river. Mm. It's a supernatural explosion of God's presence. Yeah. Man, that's that's the best way to describe some of the things I've experienced A supernatural explosion of God's presence. I could repeat testimonies that I've given before. Scripture says that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. How thoroughly does water cover the seabed? The great flood of Noah was a flood of judgment, but it may offer us some clues about how the knowledge of God's glory will cover the earth. It says that just before the great flood in the book of Genesis, it says, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up. And then the windows of heaven were opened. All the fountains of the deep were broken up. And then the windows of heaven were opened. One way to release a flood on the earth is to release torrents from two directions at the same time at once. Like adding rain to a... You know when the floods come, when the flash floods come and it just keeps on raining, right? are adding rains to already flooded streets and flooded riverbeds. In the realm of prayer and revival, a way to open the windows of heaven is to break vessels and release torrents of repentance and worship among the people of God. There has to be a deep brokenness in us If we want to break through and see an open window in heaven. Brokenness on earth creates openness in heaven. Had one pastor tell me once, it's not God's will for us to be broken. Jesus was broken so we don't have to be. I'm not even going to combat that thought because I don't believe that. Wow. The way of the cross. The of the cross. Yeah. Come on. What do I mean when I talk about an open heaven? An open heaven is a place of easy access to God. We know from Paul's writings that there are, are at least three heavens. The scripture teaches through Paul's writings, at least we know of three heavens. He told the church at Corinth that he was caught up into the third heaven. You know that? You've, you remember reading that and remember hearing that? If there is a third heaven, then there must be a second heaven and a first heaven, right? Are you you do the math with me, right? The third heaven can only be the domain of God and his angels. It is the realm or residence of God. His rule from the third heaven affects the other heavens underneath it. Since the Bible describes Satan as the prince of the power of the air, then logic tells us that the second heaven is the dominion of the demonic with me on this you there's some scripture to bear bear this out the first heaven refers to the natural sky over our heads and the general dominion of man or all that is within our reach chapter 10 in the book of daniel gives us a clear picture of all three heavens in this conflict when daniel prayed to god from the first heaven Celestial conflict broke out in the second heaven between Michael, the archangel, and the fallen angelic ruler who's known as the prince of Persia. I don't think everyone in the earth realm knew there was a demonic ruling spirit of Persia. This was from the spirit perspective. Perspective. God's answer to Daniel's prayer came through despite every effort in the dark realm to hinder it or to delay it. Yeah. So remember, delay is not denial. How many of you have, are still experiencing a delay on a promise that you're asking for? Like the, the man in the back of the church, you bought! Delay is not denial, which tells us and shows us in this story that persistence plays a powerful role in opening the heaven. What if Daniel had stopped praying on the 18th day or even the 20th day? You must not let brass heavens deter you. When we use that term, brass heavens, you've heard that, right? Yeah. We're not saying that God cannot hear our prayers. He heard Daniel's prayer and instantly dispatched an angel with his answer. Right, right. The problem is that the angel passed through the second heaven where Satan sent his own fallen angels to disrupt the communication. Wow. The adversary... Will try to stop your prayer from going up to God. And he will try to hinder the delivery of God's answer to you as well. Because the second heaven is his domain. For now. Paul describes Satan as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2 and 2. There's your scripture. I've not given you, I've quoted a few scriptures, but I didn't give you any on the screen because I didn't have enough time. Tanner. The adversary doesn't have, I'm sorry, mom and dad. I shouldn't have, I should I just threw him under the bus just like that. Uh, The adversary doesn't have complete dominion. He doesn't have complete dominion over the second heaven. He has limited dominion. He is only a created being and a fallen angelic prince. He can't even be compared to the eternal God and the risen king. A prince only has the power delegated to him by the king. Our God has all power. Satan, the fallen prince, only has the authority released to him by the king. There will come a day when even that authority will be stripped from him. Jesus has already stripped the keys of death and hell. Satan doesn't even have the keys to his own domain. He doesn't have the keys to his own house, but he still has the house for now. But on that great day, God is coming to go one step further and repossess his house if you've ever had difficulty financially i had a car repossessed once what was that car i got it back had to pay two car payments instead of one i was just struggling little young man anybody ever get to that place where you think oh my god they're coming for my car Worse yet, they're coming to my house. (sighs) He's coming on that great day to repossess the house that Satan has had dominion over. I like the the whole concept. Do you want to see the windows of heaven open up? Do you really want to see... The windows of heaven open up over this house, not just this house. What about what about a vision for God to open up the windows of heaven over a city, over every house so that the glory of God invades a city? How about as a pastor, I don't consider just pastoring a church, but pastoring a city? that I could find a a place of unity with the pastor across the street or maybe a pastor that doesn't even believe the same way I believe. But but we get a heart for a city instead of just our four and no more. I want to see the heavens open. It's not about us it's about him it's about what we can it's not about what we can accomplish but it's about what he is capable of in the earth yeah. Yeah. besides the biblical characters that we can look at for experiences there are heroic figures from church history that also leave us clues about open heavens I remember as a little kid, I must have been eight or nine years old. And, you know, I've got four brothers older than me and then my sister is a couple years younger. But I remember there was this period of time my mom would sit and read a chapter at a time. This probably one of the most popular Christian books ever written called Pilgrim's Progress. If I would have just said Pilgrim's I don't know how many people would know the answer to that. It's one of the most popular books, Pilgrim's Progress, written by his last name is Bunyan. John Bunyan, not Binyan, B-U-N-Y-A-N. But it almost sounds like Binyan, John Bunyan. Is one of these historical figures in church history. His classic book, Pilgrim's Progress, is like I said, is probably the best known Christian book ever written. But Bunyan didn't consider it to be his best book. His choice was a book entitled The Acceptable Sacrifice. He wrote it late in his life, and it's about it's a book about brokenness taken from Psalm 51. He died while it was being printed. But he said that the book was the culmination of his life's work. It was in Psalm 51 that David declared the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Consider this statement. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. Amen. This is the costly key that unlocks the riches of God's presence. This is the fragrance that God cannot ignore. He will Respond to your brokenness. The brass heavens will be broken. Christians around the world are saying, we want revival. We want a move of God. Unfortunately, we haven't learned from David's mistakes. Often we try to do the same thing he did the first time he attempted to bring the presence of God to Jerusalem. We try to cram the holy things of God on a new cart. On a new cart of man's making. Thinking God will be pleased. Then we're shocked to discover that he's not pleased. When someone tells us he's not pleased with that. He will not let oxen pull on carts carrying his glory. Are you hearing what I'm saying? we expect somebody or something else to sweat out the hard part of revival. All we want to do is sing and dance in the procession. These half-baked, man-centered revival celebrations go as smoothly as David's first art party until we hit a God bump a speed bump at the threshing floor. These speed bumps on the road to revival may well be the hand of God saying no more of that. I will let you handle me casually for so long. I will only let you handle me with no sweat up to a certain point. However, if you really want to move me from heaven to earth, you're going to have to sweat it out. What does that mean? It means getting up early. On Monday when you it's your only day to sleep in. Getting up and coming to prayer. When I don't even know. How to pray for an hour. I don't even know what to say. Mm, We're going to dive into that in January. We're going to teach on prayer for at least a month. Basically, he's saying, don't try to transport my glory on your rickety man-made programs. On man's methods and agendas. You can have your cart or you can have my ark. But not both. David had to retreat and do some research. After Uzzah was struck dead at Nacon's threshing floor. Uzzah died after he tried to stabilize what God had shaken. I think I'll say that again Uzzah died after he tried to stabilize what God had shaken we still insist on smoothing out the bumps and rounding off the edges of God's commandment we are futilely trying to create Uzzah friendly environments That's what happens when we prize man's comfort over God's comfort. We get so focused on what makes man comfortable or what offends him when we don't want to do this. Y'all, there is a couple, and there are and three kids that visited in our first year who were raised and, and seasoned, in I thought, in a Pentecostal environment. And so when they visited, their kids were teenagers young teenagers but uh and they're they, they god bless them but uh, they said you know we we're not going to come back because our kids are uncomfortable with y'all speaking in tongues to which i said shandala Beheshe!" <laughs> I will not try to smooth out. Seeker-friendly is fine. But spirit-friendly is fire. So, maybe I should... Not in an effort to smooth out what I just said. (laughs) I I have been to many seeker-friendly churches, and I understand it. And what's extraordinary about the first time we went to a seeker-friendly church, it was a Baptist church, that it felt like they were in revival because for the first time, they're actually expressing themselves in worship. Their hands are up. There's this lively worship and I've sung in Baptist churches and hands never moved, never clapped. And and I'm talking about the white Baptist and I've been to black Baptist churches too. And they are so Pentecostal. I don't know why they even pretend that they're Baptist because, but but, but I'm talking about the white Baptist. They are so stoic and I'll leave it right there. I was gonna say boring, but that might be offensive. So I won't say that. So, so, so we go to this church, and this is, this is a Baptist church, but this is like charismatic worship. And so in this environment, I'm like, I get, I get it. I get this is a move of God. But then I would go to churches that were steeped in the Pentecostal experience, but in an effort to grow bigger crowds, they dial down the Holy Spirit. And relegate speaking in tongues. If you're going to do it, we're going to take you over in the back room. And never let it happen in the sanctuary lest we offend some anybody. So I've said I've made my peace with the seeker. David discovered that God had told Moses that the ark had to be transported on the shoulders of sanctified Levites, set apart Levites. God had enough of man's ways, and he rocked the cart to let David's crew know about it. He didn't want anyone holding up what he was striking down. Why would David put the ark on the cart in the first place? To the mind of man, it was logical to put a heavy box on a cart for such a long journey. Besides, that's how the Philistines did it. Philistines, Philistines, potato, potato. The Ark of the Covenant was a box constructed of gopher wood and overlaid with gold inside and out. It measured about four feet long, two and a half feet wide, and two and a half feet deep. The Ark also had a gold top with two solid gold cherubim mounted on the top, and it was carried with gold Overlaid poles run through solid gold rings attached to the side. You get the picture? You see how this was done? Gold is one of the densest and heaviest materials on earth. Can you imagine how much the ark weighed? No wonder they attempted the journey on a cart. David learned the hard way. That God doesn't think like men does. His ways and the road to revival. His ways are higher and heavier. Say that. His ways are higher and heavier. Sweatier. Real men have to sweat. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land here. I'm going to land and, and come to part two uh, when we get into the month of December. Uh, I'm going to stop, but I'm going to give you some statements of part two, all right? I'm just going to kind of set you up for where I'm going. The first one is, real men have to sweat. Say that. You have to understand this journey. They were instructed. Now they're carrying this heavy ark and every six steps, they have to stop, kill an ox. He wanted to get the message across. You're not gonna carry my glory with an ox. Instead, we're having to kill an animal, a sacrifice, an animal, and shed blood every six steps. Yeah. Wow. And then six more steps. And then they approximate, they approximate that the journey was between seven to 14 miles. So let's just average it out and say 10 miles. Imagine for 10 miles, walking with a whole entourage of people. Yeah. Yeah. Herding animals along prepared to sacrifice i mean what a concept every six steps and having the animals present with them and keeping them in the right place and you can imagine the animals they're watching the other animals (laughs) not me if they could speak did y'all see that there was a a thanksgiving meme and there was a turkey that was standing in the kitchen it was alive and it was kind of looking into the oven that was open and there was a uh, a dead turkey in there Burnt, it's like cooking, and it was it looked like the meme looked like the bird knew what was going on, and the whoever the owner was, oh, you don't know him he's not your friend here's the other one when you seek God's glory, things get heavier, not easier I'll talk about that. During part two, are you willing to pay the price for God's presence? It's a loaded question, but I'll ask it again. Are you willing to pay the price for God's presence? Now, this next one goes along with just what I was sharing the sweaty experience. The robes of the passionate are stained with the marks of bloody sacrifice. You know, I don't care what it looks like in the natural realm, but what do you look like in the spirit realm? What kind of sacrifices? I mean, you understand New Testament sacrifice is, is different, but still there is, I, I used to say it like this, I may not look like much physically, but in the spirit realm, I look like the Hulk. <laughs> At least in my mind, I do. <laughs> in my mind, I think all of hell gets afraid when I wake up. I'll say this, don't offer to God a sacrifice that cost you nothing. I like this one. God isn't obligated to feed casual nibblers. So we'll get into the hunger. We'll get into the desperate. We'll get into... What it means to have someone so ready for the promise to come that it doesn't matter. Uh, if you were here for the, for the Thanksgiving service uh, during the worship, uh, Kevin's little Zamara was, she kept breaking away from her mom and she would run up through this aisle and she'd see her dad. And you should see the look on her face. She would like, she thinks I'm going to get to him. But it didn't matter. She didn't care what any of us thought. It, wasn't of, it was of no concern if the noise and, that she was making, when she, the excitement she had when she saw her daddy on the stage, it didn't matter to her what any of us thought. She saw him, and she was going for it. Why do I paint that picture? It's the same thing with the Bartimaeus thing. Jesus! Son of David, have mercy. Daddy, I see you and I'm coming. That is the culture that I want to establish. And when I, when I, when I talk about this, it, it's kind of difficult when we started worship today when I just see a little wimpy worship service. And so sometimes I have to pause and say, focus. I don't know what I'll say, but what I'm really saying is, focus. Daddy is here. Can you see him? Run to daddy. Run to daddy. His arms are open. Run to daddy. Come on, pay attention to what we're saying. That's how we have to gather. We have to come creating this culture of hunger. Hmm. The truths of God should lead you to the God of truth. There, are, I talked about honoring the point with the dogs last week. There are hunters that that uh, hunt for these wild, like beasts, like tigers, and when these when they're when they're after the prey they they will they will find the footprints of these animals and they can tell you how long it's been since the print was made and they get excited because that means they're getting closer to the target they can tell you how long it's been there when it when it how close it might be and so 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 that is the truth of god we can't camp out and just say isn't it exciting there is the footprint of jesus and we're just going to camp around the footprint instead of search the path until we find him it's this passion i'm going to talk about making smoke not talking about that kind of smoke. I'm talking about the high priests. There was only one high priest before David brought the ark and and, and put it under the tent and created David's tabernacle. Uh, b- before that, only once a year was the high priest allowed to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. There was the outer court, there was the inner court, and then there was the Holy of Holies. And before he could enter the Holy of Holies, he got a censer, and he would put... Uh, stuff in the sensor to make it burn, and he would have to stick his hand into it in between the slit and the veil and shake it and create smoke before he could enter in. Because he, he had to, he had he wasn't able to just look upon the ark without smoke obstructing the view. We have to make smoke. The reason we make smoke is so that he will draw nearer. He he wants to be close to us more than we can imagine wanting to be close to him. But he can only draw near as we are able to make smoke. How do we make smoke? We make smoke with our worship. We lift up the sensor of our hearts and we create smoke so that he can draw near. The blood gives us access to God but it's repentant worship that attracts him. Let me see. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Father, we are a hungry people. We are a hungry people. We have Great desire to see you. We have great desire to behold you. We have great hunger to encounter you. Lord, we know you have a plan for us. We know there is a promise made to us that in the last days you would pour out your spirit on all flesh, and we're part of that. We are part of the all, and, and we hold on to this promise. We hold on to this promise, and God, we know there are things in our life that we, we know that you want to get close, but we haven't created enough smoke with our worship. We just sang, we just memorized words and didn't make any smoke. Help us to understand that it's authentic Worship that creates the smoke in the atmosphere. Uh, God, help us to begin to understand what it takes to come in and lay our own agenda down and become broken worshipers, broken vessels, brokenness allows us i want you to understand this brokenness allows you that when you come and get filled up if you have a broken vessel then when you get out of here you're just going to leak jesus everywhere some of us have never shared jesus with anybody outside the walls of the church and and i'm not saying everybody has to be a preacher but you know what i've been in places where i get stopped in the mall and said what is it about you there's just something about you and all i can say is i got a leaky spot i got a leaky spot where jesus just pours out i've been in restaurants where where people would come up and just start a conversation and before it's over they don't know who you are or what you are but they but then they'll say will you pray for me because they sense the aroma of the spilled Presence. So, God, I just get down on my knees and invite anybody else who wants to come and get on their knees with me and just humble ourselves as we present ourselves to you. We present ourselves to you and we declare that we are desperate for you we hunger for the promise we hunger for the face we hunger for the presence we hunger for the the encounter god we just can't go through we can't go through a life without experiencing the face of god I wish you'd just take, I just wish you'd take some time right now and let your own plea rise up out of your heart. Let the sound of hungry hearts begin to rise in this room. God, we know there's more. We know there's more. We know there's more. We know there's more. We pursue. We pursue. We seek you. We seek your face. Lord, we pray like Moses. Show us your face. No man can see me and live. You you, you responded to him. But God, then help us. Help us to create enough smoke with our worship so that we can get close enough to you. Let us be people of your presence. Let us be people marked by prayer let us be people marked by passion people that just the 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 essence of your presence can be sensed when we walk in any room god let people know and begin to understand that this one there's something about this one there's something about that one that they live a broken life that means just means they're not full of themselves Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.